security blanket. A blanket or other familiar item carried especially by a young child to provide reassurance and feeling of psychological security. So, the question is, does a security blanket actually provide security? Or just the feeling of security? And what are the chances that we might be confidently clinging to things that are just actually security blankets? Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to all of those of you who are here in the room and those who are in the commons, as well as those who may be joining us online. Glad that you are with us here to be able to go through this second part of uh, this teaching that we're doing on security blankets. Last week, we talked about uh, the security of tradition, and we talked about how we need to put uh, our trust not in tradition, but rather in what does the Bible say in Scripture alone or as the reformers called it, sola scriptura, when uh, we need to look at scripture as the foundation uh, of our faith. And so today we're going to transition into actually talking about that very thing. We're going to talk about faith alone. So if you are a note taker, you can write down that title. And before we begin, I want to really clear up the definition of the word faith so we can all understand what we're talking about because faith is one of those words like love that gets used in a lot of different contexts and we may not all be on the same page if we don't clarify what it is that we're talking about because I'll say I love my wife and then I love pizza but I don't love them the same um, and I don't really love pizza when it comes down to it. I'm not faithful to pizza at all. Um, but when we use the word faith, it can be interchanged a lot uh, similar, similarly. People will use the word faith in place of hope but the Bible makes a distinction between faith and hope. Faith and hope are not the same thing. Um, also, there is a distinction between faith and wishing. Um, there's, uh, it's not the same thing as I'm putting my faith in something or just trusting in something. No, it's much deeper than that because we want to get down to what does the Bible mean when it talks about our faith? And that's what we're going to be dealing with today. Um, a lot of people will use the word faith as uh, a descriptive word to kind of uh, encapsulate their uh, kind of their core beliefs, uh, the things that they have come to believe to be true, and they'll call it my faith, right? The Bible never uses the word faith in that way uh, like we use it. Or uh, when we'll say, you know, that person has strong faith, what we are re really actually saying is that that person really loves Jesus a whole lot, and I can tell by the way they act or the way they live, not necessarily that they have strong faith, but that's just a term that we use. But the Bible never uses faith in that way either. So we want to make sure that as we go to the Scripture to study faith, that we use the word faith the way the Bible uses it, okay? I'm not saying the way that you use faith to describe your uh, set of beliefs or someone who may really be passionate about loving Jesus are wrong. So I'm not trying to say stop using it in that way because it's one of those words that we can use and we all understand contextually what we mean in our context, but that's not the way the Bible uses it, okay? So does that make sense? So we want to clear up the difference between what we're not talking about so we can understand what we are talking about. So we need to create a clear distinction of what we're learning so there's no room for misunderstanding because faith is not wishful thinking. It's not your set of moral code. It's not blind trust. It's not some unknowable leap. And we need to understand what faith is because Scripture says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
So what is faith? Let's go to Scripture to find out. If you have your Bible this morning, go over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and we're just going to camp out in Hebrews 11 today, so you can just get real comfortable in Hebrews 11, and we're going to explore this area of Scripture. In Hebrews 11, let's look at verse 1. In the English Standard, which is the translation that I typically teach out of, it says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And then in the King James Version, the King James reads this way, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So here we see these words like assurance and conviction, and we see substance and evidence. So we see that faith is so much more than just trusting God. It's not just trust. No, my faith causes me to trust. Faith leads to trust. Faith leads to hope. Faith leads to these things. Faith is not in and of itself these things because faith is much deeper than just hope or something like that. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. It's the evidence of things not seen. And so I came up with a Derek Armstrong definition, and you can take that for what it's worth. Um, But how I like to try to describe it to help us to better understand it is this way. Faith is absolute confidence in the word, character, and ability of God. It's absolute confidence in the word, character, and ability of God. In other words, I'm not second-guessing here. I am 100% fully convicted, fully assured that if God has given his word, that he's faithful to see that word performed. And I am fully assured of his character and who he is and knowing the real God that the, that the God that I serve is the God that Scripture shows me his character and I can see his character displayed in other things around me as well that line up with those areas in Scripture to help, to help me to see so I can have my faith and I am confident, I am convicted, I am assured in his character and also in his ability that there is nothing too small for God that there is nothing out of his reach, there is nothing that is beyond his grasp, that he truly is God, there is nothing above him, there is no one or nothing greater than him. So faith is the absolute confidence, the conviction, the assurance in the word, in the character, and in the ability of God. And faith causes me to trust, and that trust gives me hope, and that hope of in, in that faith gives evidence or conviction to things that I cannot see, things that may even be hard to explain. Faith is a knowing. It's the assurance that we have of who God is. So let's read a little bit more about faith in Hebrews 11. Let's go back to verse 1 and read it again. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, and for by it, The people of old received their commendations. Stop right there. The people of old received their commendations. Who are these people of old that the writer of Hebrews is talking about? He's talking about people in the Old Testament, all right? People before Christ. Because we understand having hope and having faith in Christ 
because we have read about Christ. We have learned about Christ. And hopefully our eyes have been opened to see our need for Christ. And we have received Christ and received the free gift of what he's done. Before Christ was on the earth, no one had their hope necessarily in Jesus Christ like we do. So what did they have their hope in? Where did they have their faith set in? They had their hope and their faith set in the promise, the promise of the Messiah, the promise of the one who was to come. And by their faith in the word of God that he was going to deliver them from this disconnection between humanity and God, that there would be a bridge built. They didn't know that his name would necessarily be called Jesus, but they knew he was going to be the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. They knew that there was a promise and they had faith in that. And the writer of Hebrews says, by their faith, they received the commendation. Those people of old, before, those people who did not know the name of Jesus, they still received their commendation by faith. So in other words, faith is what makes us who do know Christ right in the eyes of God. And it also was credited to those before Christ came as righteousness. So it's always been faith. It's always going to be faith. It's not God did all this stuff differently in the Old Testament. And now he's doing something different. No, he still wanted us to operate by faith before Christ showed up on the scene and after Christ showed up on the scene. It is by faith. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to illustrate and help people understand because he's writing to a group of Hebrews who now have come to faith in knowing Christ. And he's helping them to see those of old, they had their faith set on the promise and it was credited to them as righteousness, as a commendation is how uh, he puts it. Or in other words, your well done, good and faithful servant was not earned by their behavior, was not earned by their good works and their deeds, it was by faith alone, and it still is by faith alone. That's why Paul writes, the just shall live by faith. That's why he writes in Ephesians that we are saved by grace through faith, and that is a gift. It's not of ourselves. It's not of works, lest any one of us could boast, right? In other words, it's always been on the promise and the word and the fulfillment of the word of God. It always has been. hadn't changed. That's where the hope of our salvation comes from. And so let's keep on reading. Verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. We have to believe and trust by faith that God spoke the world into existence, made everything that we know and see and feel and touch out of stuff that didn't even exist, thus showing the power and, and, and the authority and the creativity of our God. It wasn't like God had some stuff out in the shed and he went and started, you know, tooling around in a shed and going, oh, I think I'll make a world. Yeah, that's, I'll put that in there and I'll put some people together too. Yeah, I'll use some of that. There was nothing already existing that God used to make you and me. God spoke it into existence. He created what is seen, what is known out of nothing. How do we know that? How do we, how can we trust that? Because of sola scriptura, by scripture alone. We see in the word of God that we put our faith in, God spoke into nothing and something was created. And that's where faith comes into play. It's not just a, I, I think it kind of happened that way. No, it's I am absolutely 100% convicted and assured and I know for a fact this is how it worked out. I don't know all the details, I wasn't there, but I know God spoke into nothing and something came. That's what I do know. I may not know all of the details surrounding it, but what I do know I have based on the word of God because I trust in his word 
and I trust in what he has said, and that's where I find my security. And when I'm convicted of that, that is my faith. When I'm assured of that, that is faith in the scripture, in God being who he says that he is. <clears throat> Let's keep reading. Verse 4, he's going to go through all of these different people of faith and kind of explain to us how faith worked in their lives. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And, though, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he was able to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as a foreigner in the land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. You see, these people that we just read about weren't crossing their fingers. They weren't going, oh man, God said it. Well, I sure hope it works out. No, they were taking it to the bank, just like we write checks when we know we have money in the bank confidently. We can swipe a debit card confidently when you know that you have money in the bank. And you know how it feels sometimes when you swipe and you're like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you may have been there too. They weren't going, oh, I hope this clears. I hope this works out. And they were fully assured of it. They were fully assured of it. Why? Because God had spoken it and God had said it. And God had established it. And when God said it, that was over for them. Even though they may waver, they went through seasons of doubt, just like you and I do. They may have gone through times of, of trying to make it happen on their own or, or try to help God out a little bit and try to make God do it our way in our timetable, just like you and I do. But at the end of the day, they were still known for their faith because they came back to the place where they had to rely and trust in God because they were convicted. That's right, God said it. And then that is the end of it in their mind. They were convicted and they were assured that it was true. And that is the faith that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. And you see, the reason we know that they had their faith in what God had said is because they put action behind it. Here's Noah. He goes out and builds a boat. It takes him 100 years to do it. You want to talk about faith? Ain't nobody seen no rain, Okay. All there is is water that came up from the ground. Nobody's seen rain yet. Rain hasn't even been a thing yet, okay? Water has not fallen from the sky. A dew was just something that uh, would settle on the ground. They hadn't seen those droplets before. So can you imagine being in Noah's time? And yeah, maybe you could stick with it and trust God for maybe like six months, right? <laughs> and then after six months, you're like, 
Yeah, what are you doing, Noah? Oh, man, I'm building this boat. There's a flood coming. You better be on this boat. You're crazy, man. And then a hundred years goes by. It's a long time. I don't know if any of you have tried to build a boat in a hundred years. Um, but Noah did. And he came under great scrutiny. Why would he do that? Scripture says out of a fear of the Lord. Out of taking God seriously. Out of an awe for who he was serving. And he knew and he was convinced and convicted. God said it. A hundred years goes by. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to do this thing he told me to do. And the reason we know these people had faith is because they put action behind it. They, they put action behind what they believed. They didn't just give lip service. Oh, yeah, God, I believe you. I trust you. Yeah, I want to worship you. I want to serve you. I want to escape the flood that's coming and all that good stuff. But, you know, I'll get to it later. <laughs> that's what a lot of people nowadays would do just like in Noah's day. But Noah put action behind his faith, and he actually got to work doing something. That's how confident he was in God. Just like you see Abraham and Sarah, just like you see all these other people that were listed, God, I'm going to trust you now. Abraham even had a name change where he had to go and introduce himself differently as the father of many nations when he didn't even have one kid. See, God wants us to put it into action when we truly are convinced and we're confident in the word, character, and ability of God. You see, when we truly uh, believe and are convinced and are assured of the faithfulness of God, we will put action behind, not to try to convince God, not to try to manipulate God, not to try to get God to move on our behalf, no, but because we know God is going to do what he said he's going to do, and we just live like it, and we just do what he said he wants us to do. And here's the other piece that we need to understand, and I want you to get this. Faith transcends time. And we need to understand this. And this is really where we're going to kind of camp out today. And this are, these are the things I want you to understand as we grow in faith. Because if without faith it's impossible to please God, we need to understand what we're talking about. Faith is not limited by time, and God does not operate on our timetable or our time frame. God doesn't say, oh, you mean you wanted that to happen? Oh, I missed it. Oh, I'm so sorry about that. No. You see, God is going to do what he has promised to do because he said it. Now, when, how, where, uh, the details, I don't know all of those things. And that's not the things that I should concern myself with. But it is because we always want everything right now because we live in such a microwave society. But we need to live with the conviction and the assurance that if he said it, that he is going to do it. 1 Corinthians 13 and 13 Paul writes this, he says, and now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. And he's talking about the things that are never going to pass away. And in context of 1 Corinthians 13, he's actually talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And when he's talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he's talking about tongues and prophecy and words of knowledge, and he gives those as illustrations. And he said, you guys need to learn how to use these gifts here while you're on the earth, because the purpose of these gifts is for the evangelization of the gospel and for the edification of the church. He said, but there's going to come a time where all this stuff's going to cease. It's all going to pass away. He said, when that which has been perfect, that which is made perfect has come, these things are going to cease. So when we see Jesus face to face and, 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 there's, uh, and we're in that absolutely perfect state, he said, listen, you won't need those tools. You won't need those gifts for the evangelization of the gospel and the edification of the church. He said, but until then you do. He said, but even when those things pass away, there's going to be three things that never pass away. He said, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So faith spans time. Faith is an eternal thing. 
It's not just a here thing. It's something that is also eternal. So let's look at it this way. Faith, and I'm going to try to write big enough for you to be able to see, hopefully there in the back. Faith is now, okay? But faith is also eternal. So faith is now, and it's also eternal. And, and I think that we, we miss this sometimes because we want God to do everything on our timetable our way, and we want Him to operate right here all the time because this is where we are. And in reality, now is all we know. We don't really understand eternity, do we? We don't really get it. We, I mean, we read about it. We trust that there is such a thing, and we believe it because we read it in Scripture, but we don't fully understand eternal things. But yet, as we read Scripture, we see that people of faith are called to live in the now for things that are eternal. So let's look at this. Back to Hebrews chapter 11, and let's pick it up where we left off in verse 13. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Whoa, stop right there. That is a mouthful. We could just camp out right there the rest of the day. There's so much that was said right there. Just right there in that sentence that we read in that verse, we see that all the people that we just read about, Abraham, Isaac, man, Noah, all these great people of faith, Enoch, we see uh, uh, Abel, all these people that we just read about, these heroes of the faith, they all died. What does it say? They all died in faith. Having not seen the thing that was promised happen, where? In the now. They didn't experience it in the now because the things that were promised, they may have saw glimpses of them, but God was giving them a picture of something that was further ahead that they had to trust him for. Abraham didn't get to see all the kids and grandkids and great-great-grandkids and great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandkids. He didn't get to live to see all that. He just had to trust. I'm going to be a father of many nations. Okay. I'm obviously not going to get to see that because, you know, he almost didn't just get to see the one kid. Think about all, all these other promises in Scripture. He said they didn't get to see the fulfillment of all this stuff. They didn't even get to see Christ come. They didn't get to see all of that. So they had to trust and they had to live in the now. And they had to live in the now by faith. It still required faith. But because faith transcends time, listen, because faith transcends time, it has no true beginning or end. It spans what we know as now and what is eternal. So therefore, God gets to choose when these things happen because He's sovereign and He's God. So what's my job? My job is to have faith. When? To have faith right now. To trust that if He said it, that He's going to do it. Whether it works out the way I want it to or not, because all these people died in faith. But what does it say here in verse 13? It said, they had seen and greeted these things from afar and had acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They had acknowledged in their heart and lived like, this world is not my home. 
Let me help you this morning. Now, listen, now is not the goal. Oh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Now is not the goal. We live like now is the goal because that's all we know. And we can get so caught up in now, in our present tense, in our present state, we can get so focused on now that that's all we think about. We're, we're more concerned about what we're going to eat for lunch than we are the eternal souls of our neighbors or our family members or friends because we're so now focused. We're more concerned about ourselves than we are eternity oftentimes. But the difference is, is that people of faith are supposed to be living in the now, but living for eternity because eternity is the goal. Because eternity is going to be a really long time. It's where time ceases to exist. Everything we know has a beginning and an end. Everything that we know has a beginning and an end. I don't care how well made it is, how well crafted it is, if it has a lifetime guarantee. It doesn't matter. No matter how well made it is. I know some of you fine folks have constructed some mighty fine toilets. You may have helped engineer them, construct them, build them. You may work in the foundry. You may work in the design department. I mean, you've come up with some creative stuff, some creative ways for us to go to the restroom. Thank you for that. But at the same time, that, that warranty and that craftsmanship, it's not going to last forever. It has a beginning and it has an end. Everything has a beginning and has an end. Even when we have our tombstone, what, what is there on the tombstone? There's... There's life, and then there's death. When did life start? When did life end? And we have this little thing in between. We have this little mark. We have this little dash in between. And that represents the span of our life. That represents now. That represents what we did on this earth in the present tense and the now, because after this, we're going off to eternity. But everything we do in the now is impacting in some way and shaping and affecting eternity, whether by our action or our inaction, whether by us living in faith now or not living in faith, we're still impacting eternal things in one way, shape, or form, either positively or negatively. We're either advancing what Scripture calls the kingdom of God or we are simply advancing the agenda of the, of the enemy. And I think here as we read, we see that these people died in faith, not having received what was promised, but they lived like eternity mattered more. They lived like eternity mattered more. Let's, let's keep reading, verse 14. For people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he has prepared for them a city. That'll preach right there. Aren't you grateful for that? That he said, listen, these people desire a better country. These people want something else other than the standard quo. They're not content with just living in the now. They're living for something bigger and something better. They're living for eternal things. 
They're living for the final fulfillment of the promise. And even if I don't get to experience the result in the now, I am fully assured, standing in faith, that God will fulfill his promises, whether in the now that I'm experiencing on this earth or whether in eternity. But listen, I can't get away from the fact that God does do some things as a result of our faith. I, I can't just say that, that things don't change because of faith, because faith does change things. But you can see very clearly in Scripture, I, I can't get away from or try to talk my way out of different texts. I don't want to look at the Scripture through my own lens. I want to rather let the Scripture speak for itself, because God really doesn't need me at the end of the day, right? That was a louder amen than I'd hoped, but okay. No. <laughs> but here's the deal. When we look at Jesus healing people while he was on the earth, we see that there were some times that people would get healed and he would say, it was because of your faith. Daughter, your faith has made you whole, he told the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus told others he marveled at their faith. I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. You're blowing my mind. Because of your faith, it will be done according to exactly what you said. And we see Jesus responding to people's faith. But yet there are some times in life where we have seen people who are full of faith that don't have their miracle or the thing happen they were trusting God for or asking God for. We don't see it happen in the now. So what's the deal? That doesn't seem very fair. That doesn't seem right. Why does, why does God do this? Because here's the answer. Because God does what will ever bring God the most glory and accomplish the most good. And everyone who has faith in God will experience complete healing, whether now or in eternity, because he's going to fulfill his word. He didn't say when. He didn't say how. But he said he was going to do it. All pain and suffering was going to end. We see that. Because ultimately, God is for God. Well, let me say that again. I didn't stutter. You can write it down. God is for God. But what about my current pain? Does he not care about my current pain? Absolutely he cares. That's why he's made a way for the curse of sin to be broken, not just for now, but for all eternity. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18 says, For this light momentary affliction. You need to underline that in your Bible. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In other words, our comfort here in the now is not the goal. Can we experience a measure of some of those things, yes, has, have I experienced the healing power of God or God working miracles in my life before or in others that I know's life before, here in the now? Absolutely, 100% yes. And God still does those things. But I've also seen people who were full of faith, trusting in God, who went on to eternity but did not receive it in the now. I've seen that too. And I can't say those people did not have faith because their actions and, and their lifestyle showed it. So therefore, you need to get out of this condemnation thing of thinking that the reason you didn't have this happen because it happened to so-and-so was because something was wrong with you. A lot of people think, well, I just must not have had enough faith. I must not have been a good enough person because we think somehow we can earn this in the eyes of God. I must have had some kind of unconfessed sin. What a bunch of baloney. 
People live under so much condemnation because they think because they didn't hold their mouth just right, give enough in the tithes and offerings at church, and they didn't uh, make the right decision. They may have, you know, uh, uh, went ahead in traffic when it wasn't their turn at the four-way stop, like people do in Sheboygan Falls all the time. But, <laughs> and they think that must be why they missed their miracle. Must be why I missed my breakthrough, because my neighbor or so-and-so got it. No, listen, God's for God. God cares about you. Yes, he loves you. But God is ultimately for God and his glory. And the disciples had the same question. Because I, let's think about this before we go over to that scripture. Jesus healed a lot of people in his earthly ministry, did he not? Healed a lot of people. But here's the crazy thing, and I want you to think about this. And this is an assumption. I'm going to step out on a limb here, and I'm going to make an assumption, okay? And you can make this assumption if you want to. And if you know any different, please tell me, okay? But as far as I know, I can safely assume Everyone Jesus healed is probably dead. It's just an assumption. It's just an assumption. So I'm just saying that all the people Jesus healed 2,000 years ago, probably not around. And if they are, they can preach next Sunday. If they're still around and you're watching this online. <laughs> Listen, those people Jesus healed in his earthly ministry died. And guess what? I would wager that probably some of them died in sickness. So what does that mean? Some of them probably died sick because a lot of people who die, die because their bodies age and break down and they can't fight off disease and sickness like they once could and they're more susceptible to disease. A lot of those people probably died from sickness. Think about Lazarus. You remember Jesus' friend Lazarus? How weird must that have been? Lazarus, he dies. Jesus he, he raises Lazarus from the dead after he had been dead for three days. Lazarus comes out wrapped up in all of the grave clothes, and people are freaking out because this dude's alive. He was dead, and everyone's like, whoa, Lazarus is alive. This is amazing. But then Lazarus probably died again at some point. Maybe he got, you know, trampled in rush hour camel traffic. Maybe, you know, he got sick with something and passed. I don't know what happened to Lazarus the second time, but could you imagine, you know, he's kind of a little bit more comfortable with it now, you know, like, I don't know what happens when you die. Some people say they see like a light, you know, come towards the light. And he's like, come towards the light. He's like, yeah, I've already been here. I know the way. It's good. I've already done this before. I don't know. <laughs> but how weird must that be to have that, that second experience like that? But think about it. So, therefore, we can ascertain from that, that if the people Jesus healed died, and that the man that Jesus raised from the dead died, now is not the goal. Amen? It's not the goal. Now, why did he do that? Why would he heal them? And then later on, they probably got sick and they eventually died. Why would he do that? I'm glad you asked. Let's go over to John chapter 9. The disciples of Jesus had the same question in a different way. John chapter 9. And we have this question all the time because we love to puff out our chest and talk about how good we are when God has done something good in our lives or we're going in it through a good season instead of a rough season. We've got to be careful to not let that pride come out because in John chapter 9, as Jesus passed by, verse 1, John 9 verse 1, as Jesus passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. Stop right there. This is really cool because it's a blind guy from birth. Not because the guy was born blind. I'm like, yay, that's awesome. But because everybody knew this guy was blind from birth. 
It wasn't like this guy got hit in the head in like a construction accident and then went blind and then someone hits him later on the head with a board the opposite direction and now he can see. It's not like he had fuzzy side and now it cleared up. He's like, I think I can see a little better. It wasn't one of those things. This guy was blind from birth, born blind. And the disciples want to know why, just like me and you. They want to know, why does this happen? How come my kid was not born blind, but this guy was born blind? I've known this guy my whole life. He's been blind since he was born. And they wanted to know why, and they said it this way. And this is where the pride comes out. They said, Rabbi, which person sinned, this man or his mother, that he was born blind? They wanted to know who, who did something naughty, who sinned, who grieved the heart of God that these, these, this child would have to be born blind and be raised his whole life blind. And this was Jesus' answer. Verse 3, it was not this man that sinned, nor was it his parents, but so that the work of God might be displayed in him. Why? God is for God. Do you see this? God is for God because the miracles that Jesus brought about were to show people that he was the one that was sent from God, that he was that promised Messiah. And when they saw the miracles, it wasn't so they would always be healed forever and nobody would ever get sick again or die because those people probably got sick again and they most definitely we can assume died. It's because these things weren't necessarily for the now. He was trying to show them a picture of eternity. He was trying to show them, now does God still heal people? Yes, absolutely. Because Does God still do miracles? Yes, absolutely. And he does it in the now. But the promise is not just for now. The promise is for eternity. This light momentary affliction of this life. Sometimes God heals and sometimes he does it in the now but he always heals from an eternal perspective because he cannot lie because he's given us his word that he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement that was brought upon him uh, was for our peace and by his stripes we're healed. That means spirit, soul, body, whole, a whole healing. And sometimes we get to experience a measure of that here in the now and it's not based on necessarily how good we are where we can try to manipulate the hand of God. Sometimes our faith does move the hand of God, and it's always for His glory and to do the most good. The times in my life that I can look back on that I know for a fact that God healed and intervened supernaturally and did things either to me or one of my family members, those things have become stories that I have shared for His glory over and over again, and it had nothing to do with how special Derek was, but it had everything to do with how big my God is. And there have been times where we were sick, and we prayed, and we were just sick, <laughs> and God created a way in our bodies for it to naturally fight off those things and heal itself and I'm grateful for that but I'm still going to continue to go through those seasons and I'll pray and I'll ask God because I don't know if God wants to use this for his glory in some way or whether I'm going to naturally go through a process of healing or whether it's the thing that takes me out and takes me into eternity I don't know but what I do know is that God is good and he's faithful and this life is not the goal are you catching this this morning if I could scream one thing at you today, it would be that now is not the goal. Now is not the goal, but it's super important because everything that happens in the dash affects eternity. 
It's not the goal, but it's important. That's why we need to learn these things now and get this stuff now. Because faith is now, but faith is eternal because it spans time. It spans time because God's going to do these things when he wants to do them, when it's going to bring him the most glory, and when it's going to bring about the most good. You see, we ask God to do these things, and, and we, can, we can ask and trust knowing full of faith. But we may be like those in Hebrews chapter 11. We may die full of faith, and that's okay. It doesn't make God a liar. It just means God is going to do these things for his glory, and he's still going to be faithful to see his word performed. I just may not experience it in the now because the now is not the goal for me and it's not the goal for God. Are you getting this? And sometimes we get a glimpse of this and if we do, it's for the glory of God and we need to thank Him for that. But here's the thing. The good news is that because of our faith, we will never be sick again or experience the sting of death because of what Christ has done on the cross. Amen, somebody? Jesus broke the curse of sickness. He broke the, that pain and disease and that curse of sin. And God sees beyond the present. Even the men of old, they didn't see the promises fulfilled in their lifetime, but they had their mind and their heart set on something different, a country that was far away, something that was not their home. They were saying, you know what? This earth, this world is not my home. And we are assured of our salvation by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, By grace we're saved through faith, and that that is not even of ourselves. It's a gift of God, lest any one of us should boast. And we have received this gift of grace by faith. We have been saved. Saved from what? The wrath of God. We have been saved from the wrath of God that is justly due to every one of us because of our sin. But we don't have to experience that because of Jesus. And now, faith in Christ alone is the bridge of assurance that we are saved. This work of grace begins when you receive the gospel by faith. You are made new in Christ when you are converted, or as uh, Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, when you are born again, because you have received by faith the truth that Jesus took your place on the cross, thus taking upon himself the penalty for your sin. This act is called substitutionary atonement. It's the atonement where you and I are now free because of what Christ has done. Jesus atoned for or paid for our sins by taking the punishment we deserve. And if we believe in that act, that it was sufficient enough to pay the penalty that we deserve and that he rose again, then according to Romans 10, we are saved. We believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth, then we can experience that new life talked about in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all, uh, all things have been made new. Faith is for now, and faith is for eternity. Salvation is now. And when we have that salvation, you know what we should have? We should have hope and joy. When? Now! Right now, if you don't have joy in your salvation and what Christ has done, are you really saved? Are you really saved? You should have that hope and that joy, knowing that Jesus has done this. Thank you, Jesus. Whoop, whoop. Praise God. Man, I should be just ready to knock the doors down in the church to get to worship with my church family because of what Christ has done for me. Amen? 
to get to be around other believers. That's why even in Hebrews he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, especially as you see the day of the Lord approaching because there's going to be a lot of temptation to get discouraged. There's going to be a lot of voices in the wind to pull you here or pull you there or pull you into this pet doctrine or this pet teaching. There's going to be so many people saying all these things that are easy to hear that make you feel good. But he says, no, 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 stay around people that are going to keep you close to the truth and the truth of the cross of Christ that it's only Jesus and nothing else. That it's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. Not Jesus that opens the door for you to get in God's goodie bag. No, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I can be content in Christ alone and nothing else. That's what the cross of Christ says. That he has paid it all. That if I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all of the needs, all the things I concern myself with are going to be taken care of. But that's the decision I make in the now, in the dash. And it affects eternity. Are we making that type of decision now? Or are we just living in the now because we think now is the goal? You see, those heroes of faith that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11, they understood they were looking for a homeland, a city that God had prepared for them. You see, all this requires faith, and I don't, I don't see it, but I need to live like it. Because I'm completely assured that it's going to happen in God's time and for God's glory. Because my security is on the rock of sola scriptura or scripture alone. And I am fully assured that it is true and I live like it because of sola fide or faith alone. Faith in what God has said, in his character, in his ability that if he said it, he's going to do it. And you know what that should do? You know what that should create in my life? Yes, it should create joy, but it should also create a love for God to want to know Him more. And that's this journey that we call sanctification. As we grow in sanctification and learning how to live this thing out, learning to be more Christ-like, learning to peel back those layers, learning to die to ourselves, learning to what it means to live as Christ and to die as gain, learning what it means to crucify the flesh, and to, and to put that stuff away because it's not who we are anymore. We've been recreated in Christ Jesus. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's what this journey of sanctification is, learning that. And also, not only learning and maturing in that, but sharing with other people. Sharing the good news. Why? Because eternity matters. Amen? Not just sharing, hey, come be a Christian and everything will be better. Tell that to people living in some third world persecuted country. I guarantee you they wouldn't say, hey, become a Christian and your life's going to get better. I bet you they'd say, become a Christian and everybody's going to hate you. <laughs> become a Christian and they'll probably, you know, harm your family or you'll lose your job. Become a Christian, yeah. It doesn't seem like the trade-off's worth it there unless you see the value of Jesus. Unless you see the value of things that are eternal. Unless you want to live like now is not the goal. We are blessed to live in the country that we do, but also sometimes I think that we get done a great disservice because we have such a life of ease that we don't know true pain and suffering oftentimes. And we don't understand what our brothers and sisters around the world are going through. 
and we don't understand what they've given up to follow Christ. Sometimes we follow Christ because it's popular or because it's what everyone else is doing or because it's some tradition that we've been going into our whole lives. It's just the right thing to do or it's fire insurance for us and we don't really have a passion to serve Jesus or know him more. And sometimes we can think that if you would just have faith like me, you could have a lifestyle like me as if somehow being an American living in American lifestyle is the goal. And we, pe- we teach and preach this prosperity gospel and feed it to other people. Go, go, go preach the prosperity gospel over in persecuted uh, China. Go preach the prosperity gospel over in persecuted Africa where they're being persecuted by Muslims. Go preach the prosperity gospel there and tell them they just need to have more faith and they wouldn't have it so bad. You see, this thing transcends time. It transcends time. Faith is now. But faith is not just so I can have a good life because a good life is not the goal. If I get to have a good life, thank you, God, for me being born in this country, getting afforded these opportunities. But let me use that. Why was I born with and afforded these types of opportunities? Why did you put me in this position? Why did you have me born in this time, living in this town, at, at this, this, this state of the world. Why? There's a purpose. There's a reason. And it's not just so you can sit comfortably and want God to make your life even more comfortable than it already is. And that's good preaching. I don't care who you are. And I know I'm over my time, but that's worth it. Because what we do now impacts eternity. Is your assurance in the blanket that you hold that makes you no safer because you hold on to it? Is that where your assurance is? Or is your faith based on faith alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ? Can you confidently and assuredly say you know that his spirit lives within you? Have you been made new? How, how do you know that? How do you know that? Is it because of something you've done? Is it because of something you've done? Or are you putting your faith in Christ alone? And if you do, then you'll have joy And you'll have hope and you'll grow to experience freedom and rest because we need to grow in this thing. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We all need to grow in faith. We need to hear the word. We need to read the word. We need to understand the word. That's why we're going to be doing some of the classes we're doing because I want you to get into scripture and be able to understand it and get rid of this wall of intimidation and these lies of the enemy that you can't understand this thing. God didn't give us his word to confuse all of us. Amen, somebody. And let me set you free. And I'm going to say this, and then, then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Okay, I got one more thing to say. When I was studying and preparing for this message, um, I, I, got, I got a little sidetracked. I know, you imagine me sidetracked? No. Um, but I got a little sidetracked um, in studying something else. And I started studying about church leadership and things like that. Did you know that in church history when the birth of the church in the book of Acts happened, that there was never a mention in church historical leadership until quite sometime, almost 400 years after the birth of the church in 400 AD, there was no mention of anyone in the church referring to anyone in church leadership as a priest. And you want me to tell you why? Because they understood something. In their day, a priest was a mediator. It wasn't just a pastor. It wasn't just someone who speaks or teaches. The priest was the mediator. The priest was the person that went between them and God. They knew they couldn't go to God on their own. They were unclean. They were sinful. 
the priest lived a certain way so the priest could once a year go into the Holy of Holies and could, on their behalf, sprinkle the blood of a spotless lamb to be able to atone for their sins. And this use of priest understanding was them knowing that there was someone else that had to go to God on their behalf. You know that the scripture says that Jesus was our high priest who entered into the Holy of Holies once and for all. That's what Hebrews says. And that in the early church, they never used that. But yet we see in 1 Peter 2 and 9 that Peter said, you are a royal priesthood. You are a chosen generation. You are a holy nation. You are set apart because they understood now there's no veil in between us and God because Jesus has torn the veil. So you don't need anybody to go to God for you. You can go to God on your own. I pray for you because I love you and care about you. And if you ask me to pray for you, I certainly will because I care about you. I'm your pastor. It's what I should do. But I don't pray for you because my, God hears my prayers better than yours. God doesn't go, oh, Derek's praying. Oh, let's listen up. Let's listen to this one. This is going to be good. This is a good one. Oh, man, he's using all the right words. Oh, man, it's the pastor praying. That doesn't impress God. It impresses humans but it doesn't impress God. It doesn't make God go, oh, I guess I have to move on their behalf because the pastor prayed. I'm more than happy to pray for you. I'd love to pray for you. But it doesn't mean I'm your connection to God. If you have Jesus Christ living on the inside of you, you have no longer received a spirit of fear into which you were a slave to sin. Now you have received a spirit of adoption where you cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. That's the way God wants us to approach him. And you can talk to God. You don't need me to talk to God for you. I don't know who that's for, but I just want to set you free in that. Those are the things I get sidetracked on when I study Scripture. But they never used that because they understood. Faith is now. Now is not the goal. Eternity is. So let's live like today matters because it's impacting and affecting eternity in some way. And let's live by faith. Amen. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to preach this word to our church family. And I just ask that you would use it in a way that would please you. And that if anything I said was not in line with your will or your word, I pray those things wouldn't be remembered, God. But that only the things that are truly from you and your Holy Spirit would stick. Those are the things that we would remember. Those are the things we would meditate on, explore, learn, and grow from. So so that we can be people of faith, people of the word growing in our walk with you. And if anyone's here and they do not know you, I pray that today may be the day of their salvation, God, where you open their eyes and show them their need for Jesus and let them reach out by simply, Lord, believing in their heart, confessing with their mouth, and let them live out that faith by putting action behind it, Lord. And let it show, Father, Lord, that they truly have received. Give them assurance through your word, through faith, and through knowing, Lord, Our spirit bears witness, Lord, that we are children of God. And we thank you for that. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?